Blog Talk Radio. Broadcasting from Atlanta, Georgia, home of the world's greatest artist, TLC, Gladys Knight, India Ari, Indigo Girls, and Hartsfield Atlanta Jackson Airport, the Falcons, and Clark Atlanta University. This is The Bright Side with Technicia, a daily show with real people with real experiences. And now, here's your host, Technicia. Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. I'm glad to have you here on the Bright Side with Technicia, and I'm your host, Technicia. I try to come on daily on Tuesdays and Thursdays from 12 to 1 p.m., and I have special guests on who give you all insights of their background, from holistic healing to spiritual guidance, you name it, I have it on the show. There's probably not one single person I have not had on the show that we talked about, including movie actors, rap artists, directors, talking about everything. But today, this topic is a little bit different, and you're probably wondering what this is all going to be about. So I want you to stay tuned and have your ears open, because with me today is Reverend Stephanie, who is a recovering non-denominational metaphysical reverend who likes to walk a little on the wild side of God. The title of her autobiography says it all, The Misadventures of an Irreverent Reverend, a Spirited Guide for Rebels and Renegades. Now, she was born in London, England. Stephanie visited her mother in South Africa in 1986, where she had a vision of creating a multiracial ministry to heal the the wounds of apathy. She graduated as a minister at Abgate in Los Angeles under Reverend Dr. Micah Beckwith with of the Secret Fame. In 2000, Reverend Stephanie found the spiritual ministry, Soul Home in Johannesburg, South Africa, and led it successfully until 2005. Since then, she has branched out as a speaker, author, sacred ceremony facilitator, life coach, and spiritual tourist guide carrying the message of spiritual transformation beyond the walls of the church, God and Sex, with the provocative title of her recent talk show at the New Thought Conference in Johannesburg in August 2017, birthing the divine feminine from history to her story with keynote speakers Reverend Dr. Michael Beckwith and Lisa Nichols, also of the secret fame. Reverend Steph has written two books, Down, Dirty, and Divine, A Spiritual Ride Through London's Underground, and her autobiography. She is currently writing her third book with her writing title, The Irreverent Reverend Rise Again, Debunking the Mythology of God and Sex. Her fourth book on the cult of the goddess, Isis and Roman Europe, is also in utero. So we are here to learn so much. I'm having a wonderful day. I'm glad you're here on live with me and on Blog Talk Radio. But I would like to introduce my guest, Reverend Stephanie Clark. Reverend Stephanie, thank you so much for being here today. And of course, I know you want to start off with our affirmations, and I was so much love for that. Okay, thank you, Technicia. Can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear. Great stuff. Okay. Uh, so thank you for inviting me to be on your show. I'm so excited and delighted. And um, yes, let's start with an opening prayer to set the tone. So I'd okay. like to ask the listeners just to be somewhere quiet and still. And you can shut your eyes or not shut your eyes. And it helps to just straighten your spine and, and breathe easily before moving into the prayer space. So let's just get still now. So we're just turning aside from everything that this day has held thus far. We're turning aside from the outer world completely and everything that we've been thinking about, everything we've been feeling, all the people we've been interacting with, what we've heard, what we've read, what we've learned in the last few seconds or minutes or hours. We're turning aside from all of that and putting our attention on the inner realm of the spirit. We're moving inwards now and deliberately directing our attention to the inner realm. So I know that there is only one power, one presence, one life, which some people choose to call God. That power, that presence, that life is the only life that there is. There is no other life. There is no otherness. 
So I am that, and so too is Technicia, and so too is everyone who is listening to my voice on this, on this recording. All of us are joined and unified in this one spiritual energy, this one universe. And I speak my word now for this radio show and know that Spirit has gone ahead to prepare the way. It knows exactly what needs to be said and what needs to be heard for the greatest transformation and healing of everyone who is present here this day and at whatever time they might, they might listen to this recording. Knowing that Technicia is perfectly appointed to be the radio host and to ask the questions that are waiting to be asked in the consciousness of her listeners. I know that she is perfectly tuned in, tapped in, and ready and available to speak with the voice of the Spirit and to heal just through the sound of her voice. I know that Technicia and I are in perfect communion with one another, that this radio interview is something that was planned a long time before we even had heard of one another. This is a divine appointment here this day, and it is good, good, and very good. So I bless our time together. I know that it is a healing ministry that is unfolding here, that is occurring here. Everything that needs to be said is said. Everything that needs to be heard is heard. I bless this time. I know it is surrounded by the presence of love and joy, sharing and gratitude. And so I give thanks for this word spoken. I release it now into law and I allow it to be. And so it is. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Reverend, for that. I really do appreciate that prayer. We all need that every single day in our life. Don't you agree? Yes. I totally agree. Yeah, yeah definitely. Reverend, this is an interesting topic. When I came across your information, it caught my eye. God and sex. You would never think, of course, of course, we all think about sex and God, but we never would have thought about actually two of these topics together. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's uh, it's radical. It's revolutionary. Uh, it so that's is. my work, I think, in the world. Is Sorry? It is interesting. What got you started? What made you um, go on to this topic? Well, um, I I was raised in a classic alcoholic family uh, in England. Oh. I grew up in London, and um, you know, people still had I think the hangover from the Victorian era when no one wanted to talk about sex or or have sex or think that there was anything sexual about their bodies. And so somehow, though, and I don't know why, I guess it was grace. I seem to bypass all that negative sexual conditioning and as soon as I was old enough in my teens I was ready to explore um, and also in my in my late teens when I began to explore sexually I started to also explore spiritually as well I had a strong sense of there must be some meaning there must be some meaning to this life because I really didn't enjoy my childhood very much I didn't want to recreate what my parents had shown me I didn't want a life of violence and alcoholism. So I was looking for something different that would be something something peaceful, something joyful, something loving. Um, and I met a man at university who was a very strict Catholic from Northern Ireland. And we had the most amazing sexual and spiritual relationship. And that was a turning point for me. And I realized that um, sexuality wasn't bad or wrong or dirty. I had the experience of it being something very uplifting and beautiful and um, expansive. And so I knew that the conditioned beliefs that I had been exposed to in my culture were really not the truth. Um, I went on to become a minister. I started my ministerial training at Agape with Reverend Michael Beckwith in the early 90s. Um, and I, I at, that, at that church, Agape, one of Reverend Michael Beckwith's colleagues, his name was Reverend Nirvana Gale. He passed on about two years ago, sadly. But he, he was a revolutionary. He gave courses on spirituality and sexuality. And, of course, I attended the courses, and I, at that point, really started to have confirmed for myself what I'd always, in my heart, known and experienced, that, that God and sex are one. They're one energy, and um, they've been polarized in our biblical history and in the way that the Bible has been interpreted throughout the last 2,000 plus years. 
so that course really also was a turning point for me. And I started my church in South Africa. It was very successful. My focus then was to build a multiracial ministry. Wow. And I did it. Um, it, was a, it was an amazing experience. And, you know, it goes on today. We're still, we're still going strong. So it's a beautiful thing that got established. And I'm very, very proud that that happened. And at the same time, I knew that that wasn't the end of the line. So now I'm focusing on breaking down barriers that people have in their minds between barriers between God and sex. That feels like the next stage in the evolution of my ministry and that's what I'm up to now. So thank you for calling me and allowing me to express my ideas on, on your show. I'm very grateful and delighted to do that. Oh, well, thank you. And for all my listeners, if you just tuned in, we're talking to Reverend Stephanie Clark about God and sex. Something unusual to find a minister talking about sex, and this is something we want to focus on, this taboo area. And as she said, we're breaking down the barriers we're, and all the doubts and curiosities that you have. So if you have any questions in regards to this, please do not hesitate to call in. The number is 347-426-3751, and we will be glad to have your questions answered by the Reverend today. Now, Reverend... God, God and sex are traditionally seen as diametrically opposed concepts. How do you see them? Um, yeah, you're right. They are seen as diametrically opposed, but more and more I'm keen to see them in my own life as, as one thing. So I think sex is, um, is a subject that's been kept out of our churches, but it really plays a very important role in our lives, and it takes up a lot of our time, mental, emotional, physical energy. It takes up a lot of our attention um, and we can't be spiritually whole if we're rejecting our sexuality clearly we're designed to be sexual beings and I don't believe it's just for procreation I think that's one way that the church fathers managed to suppress sexuality they considered that huh, that Eve was evil that sexuality was evil and it was the cause of death and punishment and hell so the church fathers were keen to really uh, relegate women to a position of um, almost like as if they, they shouldn't really exist. There was even a church council to decide if women had a soul or not. Um, so men, the, the male church religious patriarchal system of control has really kept women and sexuality out of the church, out of the conversation in, the, in our religious world. And I think we have to bring it back into the conversation because sexuality, because of all of our religious conditioning, sexuality is a problem for a lot of people. They don't know how to manage that energy and where do they go to talk about it. And it's also a part of our spiritual evolution that we learn how to be primarily loving beings, but how do we, how do we learn to have our sexuality be part of that evolution of who we are as loving beings? That's a very important question. So if sexuality is held as something opposed to God, something sinful, something dirty, makes it really hard to integrate on our journey. Um, and that there, to me, there is no war between God and flesh. That's how it's often been held in the, in the Bible, that there's God up in the sky and God's perfect, and then there's us mortal beings on the earth that are worms in the dust and imperfect and stained with sin, really. I mean, all of that is just mythology as far as I'm concerned. Uh, so oh. let's, let's examine and expose that mythology so that we can be set free and live our lives in freedom. And that freedom includes being able to express sexually without guilt or fear or shame. Right. Well, this is definitely opening my eyes to a new thing here. Now, what uh, can do you, you tell me? What, can you tell me what exactly you heard there? I, I'm really curious to know when you said that opened my eyes. Would you mind sharing what what got opened up well, for you just then? I mean, because I never, I never had actually heard of this. That's why I did want you on the show because see, I'm learning new stuff, and I need for one reverend to definitely get back into my Bible um, more, especially with my children. I will be honest with that because. There are things that I don't know of um, as far as with the Bible. So I find this a very mm. interesting topic because I don't want to, you know, you don't want to go around thinking you know everything, don't want to listen to everybody's opinion because 
if you even talk about sex with certain people and God, people look at you funny. So that's why when I read your information, I said this is very, this is interesting to me because people will look at you and 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 try to crucify you if you even mention the word sex around. I'm like, okay, um, <laughs> but we did get here somehow. So I will not pretend that I know what is actually going on. That's why I had to have Reverend Clark on today because I was like, this, this this is something that I need to dig around into. So that's mm-hmm. where I'm coming from mm-hmm. with with my curiosity. Um, now, mm-hmm. now, Reverend, um, what do you actually see as the consequences of this imagined opposition between God and sex? Oh, consequences, horrible, horrible consequences. Um, Guilt, shame, um, body hate. Women, a lot of women have body hatred. The disease of anorexia, bulimia, I believe, is all based on the rejection of our our female bodies. Uh, Mostly it is a female disease or a female addiction. Um, Fear, fear of sexuality, fear of... Um, doing something that's bad or wrong in the sight of God, something that will bring on negative consequences for us if we engage in something that's pleasurable. And, and what if we really enjoyed it? Does that mean that we're the devil's spawn? <laughs> I mean, these are the questions that plague people based on their religious conditioning. And um, also, uh, I mean, the, the consequences are horrific as far as I'm concerned with regard to female uh, violence towards women. I mean, that is, especially where I live in South Africa, the, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, violence towards women is, is rife, it's widespread, and rape is usually not taken seriously. There is a move to take it seriously now, but nevertheless, you know, for a long, long time, it was considered to be the woman's fault. And that all comes from the Bible, where in the Genesis creation myth, where Eve is seen as the cause yeah. of man's downfall like her her sensuality her her wanton sexuality her sinful nature is seen as the cause of man's fall from grace as if the man had no responsibility in the matter at all like men did not want to take responsibility for their erections (laughs) and they wanted to blame women for that in fact um St. Augustine, he's called St. Augustine. He wasn't saint forever, of course. He was later canonized. But Augustine uh, was a 5th century theologian that he, he couldn't control his penis. And because he could control his arm, he could control any of the limbs of his body. He could say, I want to raise my arm, and he could raise his arm. But he couldn't raise his penis at will, and he couldn't make it not be erect at will. So he was always confused about his penis. And he thought, okay, so this must be of the devil because I can't control it. Isn't that sad? (laughs) And so because men couldn't control their erections, they figured that the the woman must be responsible for that. So that's how women got to be so vilified and so so, attacked, accused, criticized, and rejected for simply having a woman's body. I mean, that was cause enough for a man to completely go off his track spiritually and start to engage in lustful thoughts about the woman, which would mean that he was bound for hell. So in order for men to not go to hell, women have to somehow erase their sexuality. I mean, that is the message that we've gotten from the Bible. So, so the other thing that is tragic for me is that in the, in the Genesis uh, creation myth that Eve was told that she had to be obedient to her husband. She had to honor him and obey him, no matter how he treated her. That's right there in Genesis. So he could treat her like dirt, he could be violent, he could be abusive, and she had to love him anyway. So in the, in the culture of the time, the patriarchal mythmakers set it up for women to be second-class citizens. And you can see today that women get into very violent, abusive relationships with men and they still think that they should stay, you know, that they should be honorable, they should keep their marriage vows, they, should, they shouldn't leave, that it would be wrong of them to leave, you know, they, they, all of that BS that people make up in their heads because of a biblical, a biblical command that a woman should obey her husband. It was all made up, but we've believed it. And so if a woman is considered to be someone who is um, 
a second-class citizen, an inferior being. Like man was made in the image and likeness of God, and woman was made in the image and likeness of man. So woman is like a step away from God as far as the Genesis myth is concerned. Um, if a woman is a second-class citizen and basically property of the man, then the man can treat her as he wishes, right? That's his property. He can treat his, his house, his cows, his car, whatever. He can treat everything the way he wants to because he owns it. So um, if, if a woman is uh, seen through the eyes of no respect, then violence is, you know, violence is kind of acceptable in a, in a male patriarchal world. There's right. no need to uh, operate as though women have value or that they have the right to be respected or the right to be honored or the right to be loved or the right to be cared for, all of that stuff is, uh, doesn't fit into a concept of women as, as property, a second-class inferior being. Oh, you got me talking, Technicia. <laughs> oh, that's, no, that's all right. I love listening. That's what makes a great, that's what makes a great communicator <laughs> when you actually listen, because my understanding of it, um, Reverend, is that the Bible is written by man anyhow, so... I mean, with all this said, how are we even supposed to go about believing anything that's put into the Bible? And a lot of times people do take the context of it and, and make their own version, just as such with yeah. um, spare the wise for the child. It doesn't mean go and beat your child house to death. I mean, people take it and run with it. So you, you be so kind. You do. You be confused. Like, what do I supposed to be, believe? Because there was yeah. so many ancient ancient years ago, decades ago. Yeah, yeah, thousands of years. Yeah, no, that you raise a really good point because there's great fear in even questioning the Bible and what's in it because the word of God is sacrosanct, right? So, so the patriarchal mythmakers wrote the Bible and called it the word of God. And if you dare to question, disobey the word of God, then what's your punishment? You're going to go to hell. So right. this, is, uh, this is very much ingrained in our thinking that if we dare to question, the consequences are going to be very painful and very negative for us. So therefore, we'll just, we'll just carry on believing that stuff because the consequences of not believing it are far more painful. Like better the devil you know than the devil you don't know, literally. Um, so I remember when I first began exploring feminist spirituality, one of the instructions in the in the book I was reading was to design my own feminine or female version of God. And I had to draw a picture of her and I had to write about her as though she was a, a real divine being. And I was absolutely terrified. I remember just thinking at the time, ah, but what if, you know, what if I'm wrong? What will happen if I design my own version of God, a feminine version of God? And what will happen if that is wrong? And then the, the male God is going to get me. You know, that was, I noticed that old, like, ter terrified reaction inside my own being when I began to do this work of exploring a, a feminine version of God. Anyway, I did, I did the work, and then I led workshops on that, on that theme. So I got past my own terror. But um, in our biological, in our cellular memory as women, we have massive terror uh, about going against the status quo, being burned as witches, being named as heretics because we might see things differently or have a different perception of reality from the male standard accepted version. So, yeah, there's a, a lot of terror in going against the word of God. And I completely have compassion for people who have not dared to question what's in the Bible because of what we've been told about what will happen to us if we dare to question <laughs> There's a lot of conditioning to to get through. So yeah, um, but we can, you know we start where we are and we begin to examine and explore and notice that actually nothing bad happens. In fact, in my life now, I just feel more and more free because I have taken the steps that were um, shown to me to really explore and examine this stuff. So I, I feel much more free now than I ever did before. And I'm um, hoping that by speaking about this subject that I might be able to encourage others as well to just start questioning and start setting themselves free from these old beliefs that they've been, uh, they've been inculcated with, you know. Okay. 
Right. Well, I'm like I said, I'm glad that you are bringing this knowledge to us. Um, now, most of the time, I deal with a lot of people and their own opinion of that sex is sinful. Some say it's not. Why have most believed that sex is sinful, Reverend? Can you tell us about original sin? Oh yeah, no, one of my favorite subjects. <laughs> Thank you for asking. Um, so I mentioned Augustine before, uh, who later became Saint Augustine. Uh, he was a theologian, and uh, the the whole story of Adam and Eve was was really distorted by him. So uh, before the patriarchal mythmakers came along, the goddess religions prevailed in the Middle East and in the Near East, and People worshipped the goddess. They believed that, or they could see that women gave birth um, at that point in in early early uh, years of our evolutionary journey. Men didn't understand that their their sperm was the was the thing that fertilized an egg inside a woman. So they they saw that women gave birth, and for them it was a magical thing for them. And they made the assumption that how did well how did the planet get here? How did the earth get here? Oh, the woman. Somehow a divine feminine god, goddess, must have given birth to our planet. So they associated birth-giving and life-giving with a female, which is a natural association to make, right? That's, <laughs> that's a very logical conclusion to draw. Um, so gradually, there, there, in the, around 3000 BC, there were <clears throat> Indo-European invaders that came from Russia and uh, that area, like the Caucasus, and they came. They invaded the Middle East, the Near East, with their warlike version of God, a very male patriarchal God. And gradually, they they took over and they ousted the goddess religions. So, in the goddess temples, before before they were all burned down or destroyed, there was a the the priestesses used to serve the goddess so these were the women who were dedicated to the temples and they served the goddess and one thing that they did was they gave prophecy and in the goddess religions the snake was a very important animal and an important symbol so most of the goddess temples had snake pits and the goddesses knew how to be at one with the snake so they didn't have to be afraid of being um stung by snakes or um yeah, poisoned by snakes. And they actually, the goddesses used the snake's venom to inject themselves and move into a hallucinogenic experience from which state they could give prophecy about the future. So they were, they were counselors, they were helping people to understand the bigger picture in their lives. And the snakes were seen as the source of wisdom. So and now we get the, the, the Garden of Eden and we have Eve who is, a priestess, she's in the Garden of Eden, she's listening to the snake, and the snake is telling her that she should eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that she'll be like a god if she does that. And the, the snake is telling her stuff that contradicts what God had said to Adam and Eve in the garden. So God didn't say, God said, um, you must not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So you see how in this story, what was natural and normal for a priestess to listen to a snake and to get good advice and wisdom from a snake was completely turned around. And now the snake is the evil one and tempting Eve and telling her bad things that are going to get her into trouble and get Adam into trouble too and God's going to reject them and kick them out of the garden. So the, the story of Adam and Eve, the creation myth, also is something that was made up by, by men because... Clearly women were the givers of birth. Clearly women were the life bringers. And men were jealous because women, women could bleed, they didn't die. That was amazing to the men because men associated blood with life. So they saw that women bled every month, but they didn't die. They also saw that women seemed to be able to turn off the bleeding when they were pregnant or when they entered the later years of their life, the stage we call menopause. So they thought women were magical creatures and they wanted that power. So they made up a story that Eve was birthed from Adam's rib. <laughs> that, Adam, that Adam, the man, was the giver of life. And when this story first came about, the priestesses thought, yeah, but that's stupid. No one will ever believe that. Obviously, men don't give birth. So you can see how powerful 
a story can become when it's repeated often enough and when there when fear is induced if we don't believe that story so there was there was no sin in sexuality in the goddess religions the women who served in the temple some of them were sex priestesses and they practiced the sexual act as an act of service an act of spiritual transformation so men would come to the temple to have sex with the sex priestesses as a way of um, growing and evolving on their spiritual journey. The, the sex priestesses understood how to work with energy. We would probably call that tantric sex. So they were the masters in that skill, in that art of sacred sexuality. So that not only was sexuality not condemned, it was something that was uh, loved and appreciated and also seen as something that would... Uh, if the goddess, if the goddess was sexually satisfied, then the the crops would be fertile. So the the goddess had to be sexually satisfied and fertilized in order for the crops to be fertile and to have a good harvest. The people associated the land then with uh, fertility, and they understood that sexuality and fertility was related. So for them, sexuality was normal and natural and something that they 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 honored. Um, Okay, so Augustine twisted all that around. And he said, no, the woman is sinful, um, sexuality is sinful, and because of, the, because of Eve being a sinful sexual being, now, now sex has been um, visited upon the human race. And at mm-hmm. first, it wasn't so much sex that was the sinful thing. It was the, what Augustine called concupiscence, which, he, which means the, the Adam and Eve's weakness when it came to um, staying away from temptation. They gave into temptation. They gave into their natural, their weakness. And their weakness led to their sexual desire. So then he, he said, okay, so everyone now is born in sin because how does a child get to the planet? Well, there's a sexual interaction between mum and dad. So if the male is sinful, the female is sinful, and because, because of their sexuality, they're sinful then everything they create must be sinful, right? So what do you do with this newborn baby who's born in sin? Well, you baptize him or her. You baptize him or her. So you sprinkle some holy water on the baby's head. You bless the baby. And by baptizing that baby, you're you're assuring yourself that that baby won't go to hell if if he or she should die. So in in those early years when the infant mortality rate was high, there was a big fear that a baby might die before being baptized. And if that was the case, then it would be a direct route to hell for that baby because he or she had been born in sin. Oh, so if this were, are oh, you saying this is where baptizer actually came, started from? Um, yes, uh, the, the Christian baptism anyway. I do believe that, okay. I haven't found research about it yet, but I know that the priestesses in the goddess religions were the uh, ceremonial priestesses and they were responsible for managing the ceremonies in the community. So highly likely that they had, um, I like to call them baby blessings. So when a new baby was born into the, the goddess cultures, then there would have been a ceremony to welcome that baby and to bless that baby and to give thanks for that baby's arrival and the joy and the love that that baby brings, all of that. That that would have been in place, I'm pretty sure. But the baptism in the Christian sense took on a, a brand new meaning and it was all about saving that little baby from going to hell. It wasn't about welcome, you know, we've been waiting for you, we, lo- we love you, we want to be here for you and to raise you and to help you become aware of your spiritual nature. None of that. It's all about we, we need to protect you now from going to hell, which is your inevitable route that you're going to follow if you don't get baptized quick, quick. So, but the thing was, was that even though the baby was born in sin and, and maybe had had the baptism, mm-hmm. what happens when we get to 13 or 14? The hormones kick in, right? So we want to be, we, we start to be sexually active, interested in the opposite sex or the same sex for some people. But anyway, the hormones are pumping. And we want to explore sexually, people start masturbating, so the church told us that masturbating is sinful, it's evil, 
You know, you're right. going to go to hell for masturbating. Um, <laughs> some people are told that their hand is going to drop off, they're going to go blind, or they're going to grow hair on the palm of their hand. I mean, all kinds of BS beliefs that have been propagated to stop people from exploring their own sexuality. And then we're told, be ye perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And the way that the Christian um, theologians have interpreted perfect is without sin, in other words, without sex. So in order to be perfect, as Jesus was supposed to be perfect, what are you going to do? Well, you've got to pray for redemption. That's the only thing that's left to you because you're born in sin, you've got six, you've got sin and sex in the cells of your body, there is no hope unless you pray for redemption from Jesus the Christ. And that's why Jesus the Christ came to earth, according to the Christian beliefs, not my beliefs, but the Christian beliefs, came to earth to save us from our sins, specifically okay. the sin of sexuality. It, it's got to be their way because there is no passage um, that I recall in the Bible that referenced like premeditated sex as a sin against God. That's the social... That's a that's a new Christian idea, the association between sin and premarital sex. The only possible reference to premarital sex being sin in the Bible is in the New Testament. Um, and I mean, and back then, as you was mentioning, in biblical times, women were the own property of a man. Man ruled over women and their children, and women mm-hmm. then they didn't have any, they didn't have any rights. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yep. Wow. Um, it's an interesting fact, but that's why, like I said, I'm glad to have you on because people retwist the Bible up, and you got to understand. Well, one of my coworkers told me you really have to do your own research because she said there are hidden Bibles out there because, see, she, she goes all the way deep, and I'm like, wow, okay, I really have to find these other Bibles because you're not going to find everything in the New Testament. You really have to do your own research. But I want to take a short commercial break with Dr. Rev. Clark, and we are going to come back. So please don't forget you can call in at 347-426-3751 because this is a heated topic that I am really enjoying. So don't touch that dial. We'll be right back after this. Thought it was over? Not yet. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Blog Talk Talk Radio, baby. This message is for all of you sitting in the passenger seat. And apologies if it gets a little uncomfortable. But how does it feel to be at the mercy of someone who thinks a random text is more important than your life? Someone who takes their eyes off the road while speeding along in a three-ton hunk of steel. Freaky, right? Well, why not just ask them to stop? Or better yet, volunteer to text for them. It might be a little awkward, but believe me, you'll live. Learn more at StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Excuse me, I know you have a 9 o'clock, so I'll keep this short. I'm the business suit in the back of your closet. You wore me nearly every day before your office went, quote, casual. I used to be the CEO of your closet. Now I'm just that one intern no one ever talks to. I always thought you'd circle back with me, get granular, keep me in the pipeline. But nada, nothing. Don't you remember the McKittrick presentation? You spilled coffee on me, and I still looked amazing during the breakout talkback Q&A. So I think it's time for me to move on. I've got a great resume, and I absolutely crush it in interviews, okay? Let's make this a clean break. Shift the paradigm. The only thing I ask is that you think outside the box here and do this. Take me to Goodwill, where I can really make a difference. Your donations to Goodwill create new jobs, training programs, and education assistance for people in your community. To find your nearest donation center, go to goodwill.org. Donate stuff. Create jobs. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. All right, we're back, and we're speaking with Reverend Stephanie Clark, a hot speaker, author on God and sex. And no, you probably would not hear both of the subjects in one, but she is on the wild side, and she's spilling all the good things that we need to know inside and out. And you may have been confused on the Bible. So that's why we're having this topic. It's not crazy. It's spontaneous, and that's what this show is all about. I told you, we don't stick the scripts around here. We do this because we are new to this. <laughs> but, 
Anyhow, <laughs> Reverend, while we were taking a short commercial break, one of my listeners made me sort of think on something. We, um, as feminism is killing women's value in the society. What are your thoughts on that? Can you just repeat that? Feminism is killing what? Um, feminism kills women's value in this society. Well, that's uh, okay. Uh, so interesting. Huh? Feminism is it killing? Is it killing women's value? Um, feminism for me grew up obviously out of a massive injustice in the way that men and women were treated in our society. And I think a lot of people would agree that uh, in the early stages of feminism, women tended to think that they needed to be more like a man uh, in order to to have any sense of equality or to be seen as a an equal opponent. Um, and feminism, yeah, it has done some damage to women because the it's the standard is still in some cases the male like we if we if we're more like men we're going to be more accepted and we're going to be more equal and that is a lie so i agree with with your listener to that extent that there's um that the 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 beauty and the the oh, the preciousness of being a woman that has often been overlooked and and undermined by by feminists so there's something very beautiful about being a woman who's in touch with herself and being fully sexual, fully sensual, and fully in her power. And that is the true equal to a man who is also fully sexual and fully in his power. But that it's, there's no issue about violence or control over or power over. It's like the possibility of a real, uh, a real relationship between male and female. And more and more, what I envision is a world where women are honored for their, their beauty, their sexuality, their sensuality, their, their intuitive skills, their uh, artistic, creative skills, all of the things that have been really denied and, and um, relegated to a lower position because they're not valued with, with money in a patriarchal world. So that means child-raising skills, educational skills, the, the power to, um, uh, uh, to create a beautiful home, like to create beautiful sacred space. These are all things that have been traditionally female that have been dishonored or, or not respected by, by the male patriarchal structure. So yes, women, unfortunately, femininity has not been valued. And I do see a world where the feminine power is more and more coming into expression. And so I do believe that feminism is evolving and there will still be feminists who want to um, <clears throat> want to be more like men, want to be powerful in the corporate environment in a very male way. That, that will be there. But I, I believe more and more there will be more feminists who really want to um, be present to their feminine essential self, to their feminine wholeness. And this work on spirituality and sexuality for me is part of that evolutionary journey so that we can as women that we can really honor our sexuality and um, be have it be something that we're proud of that we don't have to um, we don't have to reject just because we've been taught that the sexuality is, is something sinful or bad I hope I answered the question I'm, I don't know if I if I addressed exactly what your reader your listener was looking for but um, maybe uh, he or she will call back so anyway, yes. Um, yes, I think you answered that perfectly. They um, they wanted me to ask you this, um, Doctor Re um, Reverend. I don't know why I put Doctor. I'm so used to sometimes people have a Doctor and Reverend and one, but Reverend Stephanie, is is feminism? Yeah. Do you think feminism is more political, meaning more pushing in the media? Uh, do I think it's more political than? Uh, more political than something that's really truly embodied, or is that? I'm not quite sure of the question. Um, uh, my guess, can you repeat that? Are you meaning? Okay, it's feminism is more. Is it more political? Meaning more pushing in the media. Um, if you can try to rephrase that, so 
Stephanie can really answer your question so she can get a meaning of what you're trying to ask, and we will appreciate that so much. But this is what I want to ask while I'm waiting on you to give that question again. Do you believe Mary, mother of Jesus, was a virgin? No, <laughs> definitely not. I don't either. I don't either. I never thought she was. How the world you have a child? Because if that's the case, then I'm a virgin, and every other 99% woman out here is a virgin. There's no way you're going to tell me she popped up with a child. Mm-mm. I don't believe it. Nope. I'm sorry, and I hope nobody gets offensive of that, but I'm with you on that. I'm, I'm not going to believe that. No, you don't have yeah. to believe it. I... I can explain about how, how we got to that point of um, having that be part of our, our Christian scripture. Oh, um, please do. I'll so in the go- yeah. yeah, in the goddess religions, um, the goddess was referred to as a virgin, and she was the eternal virgin. In other words, she had the power to always be brand new. And in Christianity, we talk about being born again in the spirit. You know, it's, just, it's the same thing. At any moment, I am a new being if I say I am, because what was what was before doesn't exist anymore. So right now, I'm a virgin, and I'm free, and I can determine who I am. I'm not bound by um, patriarchal rules about my, my hymen, whether my hymen's broken or not. Um, so the goddess was called the eternal virgin, and then Mary took that on. When, when Constantine, the Emperor Constantine, decided to make Christianity the dominant and only religion of the Roman Empire, the pagan people or the, the goddess-worshipping people did not accept the Christian religion. They, for thousands of years, they'd been worshipping the goddess, and they were very happy yeah. with that, and they couldn't grasp this notion of a boy child that was going to save them from their sins because they didn't think they were sinful. <laughs> they didn't have a notion of themselves being sinful people. They had sex a lot, and they thought that that was fine because it was natural. So um, the, way, the only way Emperor Constantine could help the people of his empire to start to absorb Christianity was to say, well, you know, we've got Mother Mary, but really that's just the goddess. It's another another name for the goddess. So if you want to keep worshipping the goddess and just call her Mother Mary, that's fine. So he he found ways to help people just integrate uh, the goddess religions with the new Christian religion that he was trying to bring into the empire. And it was really for political control. He wanted all the people in the empire to only have one Religion and it was just a way of controlling them. It had nothing else to do with. It had nothing to do with spiritual growth. Nothing about that at all. Political measure. So now uh, we have Mary who gives birth to Jesus, and she's supposed to be a virgin when she gives birth. But there's a problem right. with that because what if? What if she had kids after Jesus? So were they also uh, born based on an immaculate conception? Maybe she had kids after Jesus who were born in a, in a normal natural way. So then that means that if she, if she had sex, even if Jesus was the Immaculate Conception, even if, even if, which I don't believe, but if she had sex with, with Joseph or whoever later and had another child, then she was tainted by the sin of sexuality. Now, if Jesus is going to be the one who's going to save us from the sin of sex, he has to be pure. He has to be pure. If he's tainted by the sin of sex himself, how can he possibly save us? He'll be just one of us. He'll be a regular guy who was born from a male and a female in the sexual act. Like, so now, so now what, are the, what are the church fathers going to do with this Mary who, who may be tainted by sin? Well, they make her a perpetual virgin. That's the answer. So even if she had sex before Jesus was born, even if she had another child before Jesus was born, even if she had children after Jesus was born, even if she had sex with her mate and no children were born, that's all irrelevant now because she is the perpetual virgin. She is sin-free. She is free of any sexual staining forever. (laughs) And now we can pray to Jesus for redemption because we know for sure he was born of a virgin, therefore there is no sexuality or the sin of sexuality within him. (laughs) 
Yeah, I know you're laughing because it's funny. It's funny, but we've believed it. We've believed it all. We bought it hook, line, and sinker, and we didn't have any alternatives. You know, we didn't have alternatives uh, presented to us. There was just the holy right. word of God, and that was it, and that was the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Right. So, and who's got, thank you for your show. Thank you for Right. Pardon me? Who's, who's going to question God or the Bible that was presented to us? No one wants to step up to play and do that, so we'll we'll believe whatever you throw it at us and don't ask questions. Just do as you're told. Do as what I tell you. It says this, so that's what it that's what it means. But uh, my my follower, um, they told me to ask this. There, let me see. What was the question? Is feminism more political? Which they mean? What they're trying to ask is the media is pushing more on women. For a political game, they're not worried about the damages it's causing in the society. Oh, okay, now it's clear. Thank you very much for just helping me understand what was really being asked here. That's no, that's a really profound question, <laughs> definitely. Um, hmm. Gosh, yes. So, so the Me Too movement, and finally, you know, women's um, sexual. Uh, the use of women sexually is now finally being exposed, but is it is it something that's actually even that being abused for um, for the media's own political agenda? Well, I think it's both and honestly, I think that there there is a move now as the divine feminine becomes more and more present in our society. There's definitely a move to expose the rape and the sexual abuse and all of the violent things that have happened to women over the over the last few thousand years. So that is a very healthy move to expose all of that and to call the men to account for the crimes that they've committed against women. So definitely I'm for that. And yes, also there is an abuse of that information for the political agenda of the media because that is run by men. So, you know, in the media, what what sells is um, sex and scandal. So it's also a platform for selling more programming, selling more newspapers, selling more whatever, YouTube videos, whatever, whatever needs to be sold to get people engaged and get money from them. That's, you know, that's, uh, that's what the media's job is in this patriarchal society. So, yep, I think that the, the feminism is actually being abused right now by the media for political gain, yeah. Right. Mm. I do. I, I will agree. Now, now we talk, now you usually hear about Mary Magdalene being known as a prostitute. Do you believe that mm. she ever was? Nope. <laughs> Just as Mary wasn't a virgin, Mary Magdalene was not a hooker, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I know. Who, Mary who Magdalene. Mary? Oh Lord, somebody framed Mary. Yeah, they framed. Framed Mary was been prostitute. It is. It's, it's, I'm not trying to laugh, but this is. I mean, these are things that I know wandering minds want to know. Yeah, of course, of course, and I think um, Dan Brown, when he wrote the Da Vinci Code, he really, really. Blew it wide open at that point. Um, he, God bless him, hey, that he brought that whole um, op, alternative uh, version of the story to the, the readership. That in his book was a bestseller. It was amazing. Um, that that Mary was sexually active with Jesus, and that it's possible that she was married to him. Or not, but possible that she also had a child by him. Um, so all of these ideas, uh, we still don't know if they're myths or truth. That's okay. They're, but it's lovely that these ideas are being introduced into our cultural understanding of who Mary was, because she's been really chained, shamed as a as a hooker. And in fact, I believe she was a sex priestess, and that she was Jesus's equal. And he knew that. I believe that they were um, sexual partners. And there's also possibility that she became the first pope of the Christian movement. So the leader of the Christian movement after Jesus was uh, crucified. Um, the patriarchy, again, they could not possibly have Jesus be a sexual being. Remember that he has to be 
pure and free of sin. So there was no way that anyone was going to talk about him being in a sexual relationship with Mary. So Mary was considered to be, was uh, just framed as the hooker. And men in those days, they really projected their own lust onto women. Not that men don't do that now, but it was very strong in those days. And so men having a, a big sexual appetite, they assumed that women who worked as hookers had a big sexual appetite. They assumed that women who went into that profession went into it because they wanted to, because they could get a lot of sex that way. I mean, what woman becomes a prostitute because she wants to have a lot of sex? It's never about sex. It's always about survival, and it's always about making a living. And sometimes it's about being sold into slavery as a sex slave. So it's not exactly a free choice because a woman has a, a, an, a sexual appetite that she can't manage. <laughs> I mean, really. But that's the male projection of their own sexuality onto females. So no, she wasn't a hooker. She was possibly a sex priestess and possibly Jesus' lover, and that, I like that version a whole lot more. <laughs> I do, I do too. And you know what? <laughs> it would be nice if, if it was seen actually that way for most women as of this day because women who sleep around, she's a, she's a whore or all that. But no, she's not. Mm-hmm. She's I consider expressing herself. Um, we have another question for you, Dr. I mean, Reverend, I don't know, where is this doctor coming from, Lord? <laughs> but Reverend I, can, I can tell you where it's coming from. It often happens with me when I'm on a radio show that people call me doctor, and I really want to be a doctor of divinity. <laughs> so you're you're picking up my, my dreams that I want to be doctor that's of D-Div. That's, <laughs> that's what this show is all about, well, manifesting. You. You're so welcome. The The next question someone would like to ask is, this generation is different. Is it really important for a man to get married? And this generation is different, and it's important for men to get married. Yes. Or is it important? Because um, when it comes, they ask. When it comes to divorce, men always end up at the bottom with nothing. Hmm. That sounds like okay. a question from a man who's been hurt in a divorce. <laughs> I'm sorry. Have you, my my listener? Have you been hurt? Is this a question coming from pain? We need we need to know, because uh, this sounds like a question. Um, Stephanie, are you able to answer that one for them? This because this is definitely a man question. Mm, I think so. Yeah. Well. Um. As far as I'm concerned, uh, marriage is something that um, we, d- we don't need to be married anymore. So okay. why do people get married in the first place? When I used to, or I still do sometimes, I still do um, marriage ceremonies. I do weddings. And when the couples come to me, I say to them, well, why are you getting married? Because they don't have to get married for any political reasons, to make an honest woman of the wife to have children who are born in a legitimate married relationship. That's none of that's necessary anymore. We've evolved as a society and it's not required. So when people come to me and they say they want to get married because they love each other, I tell them that they have to go a little deeper because love is not enough. If it's love, it's a feeling. And usually in the first six months of a relationship, people are engaged in the romantic fantasy And then after about six months, then the dark side tends to come out. So now, if you love someone, do you only love them when they're making you feel good? Or do you really love them even when they're not making you feel good? And if you enter into a marriage with the understanding that you're entering into a spiritual partnership, and the spiritual partnership is not there to fix you or make you happy or do any of that, you're entering into a conscious spiritual partnership because you want to grow spiritually and the person that you're with is for you in your estimation the best person who's, who can be your partner in that spiritual journey so that and then then there's a commitment to loving and to working through all the conflicts that come up and 
making a conscious choice that you'll work through every conflict and come out the other side closer, more intimate, more connected. So not many people go into a marriage with that perception, with that, um, with that approach. And so divorce is, as far as I'm concerned, inevitable. If you go into a marriage thinking that the other person's going to make you happy or they're going to have babies for you who will inherit your property or they will clean the house. Like if you're a man and you're marrying a woman, you're looking for someone who will press your shirts or you know, do run the home for you so that you can go out to work and have a nice home to come back to. Whatever, whatever reasons of personal comfort people get married for, they will eventually backfire and divorce is inevitable. Or people sometimes stay together because they think they have to or because of the children. But once, uh, once you've realized that this person is not going to fulfill your needs, um, what, most, what a lot of people do is make that person wrong. They make their partner wrong. Like, you know, we were so happy when we got married, but now you've changed. And actually, that's not true. It's not true. No. What was missing was a spiritual commitment to spiritual growth in the, in the marriage. And going to a church and having a, a ceremony doesn't mean there's a spiritual commitment. It's just a ceremony. So a a spiritual commitment is something that occurs as a result of prayer and planning, preparation, and resolving the issues before before walking down the aisle, before going to the registry office. Um, And so, yeah, to go into a marriage with expectations that you're going to get something that you don't already have, it, it, it will break down eventually and, and you'll be left hurt and you'll be left disappointed and your fantasies will be broken and that's a very painful place to be, but it had to be that way and maybe, maybe, maybe as a result of the pain, you start to self-examine and you start to take responsibility for the expectations that you brought to the marriage. So I'm, I'm really sorry to hear of the pain that the listener has had to go through as a result of a failed marriage. But let's not say it failed, because ultimately everything is working together for good. So even though there was a painful divorce here, there's still hope for learning how to love. And that's that's what we're on the planet for, to learn how to love. So if that person, um, yeah, helped in that way at all, even if even if it had to be through a divorce, then then ultimately it was a successful relationship. If it, brought, if it brought both partners further forward on their journey of evolution and made them bigger, more expanded human beings, then, then it did its job. Well, I appreciate your question, um, my listener. I do. Although they never actually been married, but they say they pay attention to what's really going on around them, which is a good thing. Um, I'm sorry I can't get to your next question. Because the show is about the show is actually coming to an end. I want to get this out because actually, Reverend, you I know you have a special offering for our listeners today. Can you tell them more about it and how it will assist them on their spiritual journey? Sure. So um what I want to offer your listeners, Technician, is my first video that I did on God and Sex. My first video that was recorded when I did my first talk in my church on God and Sex. So that was uh, last year in February for Valentine's Day. And I, I want to give out the link. It's www.timelesstransitions.net, timelesstransitions.net forward slash free um, hyphen GSV. So timelesstransitions.net forward slash free hyphen GSV. So GSV, God and Sex Video. Um, otherwise, if people want to um, make contact with me, they can write to me via my website. Um, I have my own YouTube channel. It's uh, youtube.com forward slash The Rev Steph. And uh, my book is available on Amazon. It's uh, The Misadventures of an Irreverent Reverend, A Spirited Guide for Rebels and Renegades. And I have a blog. It's called Miracles. Mysteries and Metaphysical Musings, and also I have a Facebook author and speaker page. So that's a lot of information, but I think if people just want to go to my website, they'll find everything else. So www.timelesstransitions.net. Okay. I appreciate that. I was just putting it. Yes, and I found that. I was just putting it in the website myself. Oh, I love it. Um, 
Reverend, I do. I appreciate you so much and for coming onto the show and giving us a spiritual guidance, opening our eyes to new things. I appreciate my listeners and followers for tuning in today as well. I hope everybody got a little feedback. And if you feel that this is something someone needs to hear, or please share it. If you're listening to the replay, share it with your friends and your family. That's what we want to do. We want to get the word out. Knowledge is power. Knowing stuff mm-hmm. is powerful, but it only makes mm-hmm. it more powerful is when you share it with others and don't contain it all to yourself. So before mm-hmm. we leave, before we actually leave, I usually I love to give um, the truth of the day because I think that always helps us in our guidance, um, and it always helps me. I listen to affirmations every morning. That's why I really appreciate you for starting us off with a prayer. And our, mm. yes, and our truth for the day is this. Become aware of the unhealed parts of you. In other words, mm. your lessons yet to be learned. The people around you, family, friends, coworkers, and society will trigger these unhealed parts. These people are your mirrors, your window to your awareness of self. When incidents happen to trigger you, embrace them so you may learn whatever it is you need to learn. Dig deep into yourself to heal these wounds, whether they are from childhood, an old relationship, or a person whom, for some reason, you just cannot stand. Learn to forgive and embrace with total understanding and unconditional love. Today, become aware of your unhealed parts. Enjoy the day. And if you need a recapture of the site, make sure you listen to the replay of this live and also on Blog Talk Radio. I thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time on The Bright Side with Technicia. Thanks for listening to The Bright Side with Technicia. If you like what you heard, tell your dad, mother, cousin, uncle, whomever. Be sure to check out the archive section at www.brightsidewithtk.com. 